0: Contra Costa County Superior Court Judge David Goldstein ruled on May 23rd that prosecutors have disproportionately charged black defendants with sentencing enhancements that unfairly target them for life in prison without parole at about a 40% greater likelihood than non-black defendants. Joining us to discuss is Evan Kulik, a deputy public defender with the Contra Costa Contra Costa County Public Defender's Office. He was the lead attorney on the racial dynamic of a court judgment that poked serious holes in the county's disproportionate charges against black folks. Good morning, Evan.
1: Good morning, Kat. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Thanks so much for being here. Um, Evan, walk us through this case. How did we get here?
1: Certainly. So I have been representing one of the four defendants in this case for about the last two years. And one of the charging dynamics here is that uh, there was an allegation of gang murder special circumstances. So in a murder case or a homicide case, uh, which normally first-degree murder carries 25 to life life with, with the possibility of seeing a parole board, um, special circumstances are a way that the DA can uh, file an allegation to elevate first-degree murder so that it can carry life with no possibility of parole or even potentially the death penalty. So in this case, which was a homicide shooting uh, with gang allegations, the DA did file that more serious charge. And I had seen through the years, many, many black defendants in Contra Costa uh, in similar circumstances, also facing that more serious charge. So I wanted to dig into the, the data because the Racial Justice Act now gave us this new tool to look at historical charging disparities to show that the defendants in a particular race in a particular case were overcharged due to their race so i used the california public records act to get data from the contra costa district attorney's office and we obtained seven years worth of charging data from 2015 to 2022 for Uh, homicide cases and we found that during that time period there were 89 defendants who were charged with murder with gang allegations of those 89 total defendants 48 were black so more than half of the defendants charged with gang allegations in in murder cases were black in a county that has less than 10 percent black population So already we're seeing a disparity there. But then we dig in further to look at who's getting charged with your standard murder uh, with uh, gang allegations and who's being charged with this elevated um, special circumstances murder uh, carrying LWAP life without parole. And so when we looked at that, we saw that without even taking race into account, 52 out of the 89 defendants had this more serious special circumstances. And this is a big deal because special circumstances are supposed to be special. They're supposed to be reserved for the, the worst of the worst, uh, the, the people with the most serious violent records, uh, the the most heinous of crimes. It should not be uh, a majority of people facing life with no possibility of parole. LWAP is a an assertion by the government that someone is irredeemable that they should never have a chance to see a parole board never have a chance for release so this is a major charging decision that has an enormous impact on someone's life so then we dug in further to look at race and compare the charging rates for black defendants in contra costa versus non-black defendants and we found that black defendants accused of gang-related murder were charged with this LWOP, Gang, Murder, Special Circumstance, at a rate of 62.5%, and compared to non-black defendants who were charged uh, with the LWOP enhancement at a rate of 53.6%. So those were the absolute values, but we used a statistician, University of California, Irvine Professor Richard McCleary, uh, who studies statistics, race, and criminal justice, And he explained that for statisticians to understand the impact or the import of uh, racial disparity in historical data, that we look to the odds ratio or the relative risk to see what's the comparison of the the risk of a black person versus a non-black person being charged more seriously. And so that's the analysis that found the relative risk was that black defendants were up to 44% more likely to be charged with gang murder, special circumstances, carrying LWOP life in prison without parole than non-black defendants. And that was the data that we brought into this case and presented to Judge Goldstein over the course of several sessions of an evidentiary hearing to ultimately get his ruling last week.
0: How long did this process take? A year. A lot of digging through uh, data. Yeah, a year. That sounds yeah, about right.
1: It, it took a year.
0: Talk to me, talk to us about the California Racial Justice Act. What is it? Um, you're, you you talked about how you used it in the case, but, but what did it specifically allow you to do and how does it work in general?
1: Definitely. The California Racial Justice Act came into effect January 1st of 2021 and Then there was a second portion, the Racial Justice Act, for all that came into effect just January 1st of this year that will uh, expand the applicability of the the act. Um, But basically, it is a sweeping law that uh, the legislature has set out to say racial bias in the criminal legal system is unacceptable. And there's four ways in which the Racial Justice Act can be shown to have been violated Um, exhibition of bias or racially discriminatory language by a judge, by a prosecutor, by a police officer or an expert witness that can be outside of court is way number one or during trial is way number two. The third way the act can be violated, which is the way that we brought this challenge is racial disparity in charging practices. Uh, so uh, when a defendant in a particular case is overcharged uh, compared to defendants of other races who've engaged in similar accused conduct, and there's a historical pattern of overcharging within the particular county, that that's a violation. And then the final violation is similar, but that's a historical pattern of over-sentencing. Uh, based on race or based on the race of the victim. And uh, this bill, this act, uh, is incredibly powerful. It's in the penal code now is Section 745. And unlike the sort of federal legal standard that's been in place uh, for many, many years, established by an old classic case called McCleskey versus Kemp that required proof of intentional discrimination to get any remedy, racism in uh, a criminal case. The California law does not require proof of purposeful or intentional racism. Uh, If there is implicit bias, racially coded language, uh, systemic bias, uh, any of these are sufficient to prove a violation of the Racial Justice Act. It's an incredibly powerful recognition that implicit bias is an evil that impacts the fairness of the criminal system and that it's pretty much impossible for defense to ever prove that a prosecutor or a judge or a police officer engaged in explicit or intentional bias and that limitation uh, let unfairness and racism uh, pervade the system. So this is why the California law is such a, a watershed piece of legislation and um, the most progressive in the country. and uh, we're starting to see some some changes uh, because we're able to show that systemic bias, institutional bias, uh, does infect our system and and needs to be remedied.
0: I mean, this, it's not lost on me that this comes on the heels of the Antioch Police Department racist text scandal, and I understand that these four defendants were named in some of these texts between cops it also comes on the heels right of sort of a a spate Uh, contra costa county was um the 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 site of several um murders by folks uh, excuse me by law enforcement um the the issues are 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 deep Do do you see a reformist way out
1: i i truly hope so uh the issues certainly are deep um this ruling from judge goldstein explicitly stated that it was based entirely on this statistical disparity this overcharging of black defendants, and not on the antioch police activity that's going to be part two we have a second racial justice challenge to the antioch police activity and you know we hope that that will also have a resounding impact but the The biggest issue that we really uncovered for the course of the litigation of this charging disparity case was that the district attorney's office was revealed to not have any policy procedure or objective guidelines for making the determination of when to file the special circumstances allegation in murder cases. This is a huge point of charging discretion where prosecutors have enormous power. To seek a sentence of sending someone to prison for life with no possibility of parole, and there was not one single DA who filed all of these eighty-nine gang homicide cases. These were uh, independent decisions by you know, a dozen different deputy DAs through the years. So we're talking about sort of the the creep of institutional uh, bias and. The social science of implicit bias tells us that when you have discretionary decision-making without guidelines or objective criteria, that's rife for implicit bias. And that's exactly what we saw the evidence showed, uh, that it did have that effect here. And so in terms of what this litigation has done and can do, uh, we, we hope that it will be a learning moment for the Contra Costa DA's office and for DA's offices across the state. Uh, that they need to put safeguards in place to uh, prevent uh, their discretionary charging decisions to be impacted by race. And when they're making these subjective charging decisions without any guidelines, um, that they uh, can see that there's an unfair result in the way that black defendants have been charged and will continue to be charged if safeguards are not put into place. Um, We also hope that there will be a model here uh, for defense across uh, Contra Costa and across the state to be able to bring uh, further challenges on these charging issues. Um, Even though the Racial Justice Act has been in place for two and a half years, this decision from Judge Goldstein was the first decision Anywhere in California uh, under the Racial Justice Act, of a court finding uh, sufficient proof of racial disparity in charging, uh, thus uh, dismissing an allegation or a special uh, circumstance. Um, Judge Goldstein had to apply statistics uh, to the law, and that's not something that criminal judges do on a regular basis. So the the decision uh, should hopefully be a, a model for attorneys and judges to be able to work through how to really understand a historical statistical disparity uh, with respect to uh, a particular case and, and how to make that determination, uh, whether there's overcharging. Um, so we, we look forward to this being that model and that tool um, to see future challenges successful as well.
0: Evan Killick, I've got to, I've got to wrap this up and get to my next guest, but it is not lost on me that some of these did happen. As as Dinah Becton, who's who's walks with the title of progressive prosecutor, was the district attorney um, at the time. How is she responding to this ruling?
1: I've not spoken with DA Becton directly uh, since the ruling has come out. But the statements that she has made to the news media uh, have given me hope. Uh, she's recognizing that this is a critical issue and an eye opening moment. And we truly hope that she will follow through on the statements that she's making that they are going to re examine their charging practices and um, take this seriously. So um, I, I leave it with that hope.
0: Okay. And then the very last question, um, uh, there is this conversation right about the only way that we're actually ever going to decarcerate in America. That power really does lie with the prosecutors, with the DAs. Yes.
1: I, I think so. There's incredible power and discretion and, and DAs uh, have the ability to show, um, show mercy. They have the ability to, uh, you know, refuse to uh, file the most serious charges, to, to not seek um, unfair uh, punishment. And, um, you know, my job as a public defender is to advocate for my individual clients. So in times like this, where I get to you know, be involved in a decision that has um, some precedent that can have some impact is, is really powerful. Um, but my day-to-day job is to make sure I do my very best, you know, for those clients. So I, I agree that, you know, it's, it's the prosecution who has that power to make policy changes, uh, to, uh, you know, effectuate, uh, decarceration to effectuate, uh, attempting to end racial imbalance in the system. And, um, uh, all I can do is, is go to court each day for my clients and, and do the very best I can.
0: You and my buddy PD down this way, Brendan Woods, we appreciate you. Evan Kulik, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive.